Hello, and welcome to episode 187 of the Erasable Podcast. I'm Andy, here with, as always, Johnny and Tim. Hey, guys. Hey, Andy. What up? How's it going? We are ready to start naming names um, for our inspirational uh, creativity books as as part of a series about uh, creativity and uh, finding inspiration to be more creative. So, you know, if you remember the last episode, we checked in with our tools of the trade, and then we got into discussion about books that inspire and educate us, um, specifically about kind of what we look for. Um, in these kind of books. So this week we're going to um, tackle some fresh points and then we're going to get into that main topic and and actually talk about a few of the books. Um, we kind of give you the rundown of some of our favorites and just talk a little bit about them. So um, one thing that we are trying, uh, if you will note, uh, we did not do fresh points last week. Uh, we're going to try to keep the episodes a little shorter because we both we love both tools of the trade and fresh points. Um, but we just don't want to give them up. So we're going to try for at least for a little while just to see how it goes to switch uh, switch on and off, like alternate between them. So last week we did Tools of the Trade. This week we are going to do Fresh Points. So uh, Tim, do you want to do you want to give do you, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sounds good. Um, I so I this is I feel like I have a reputation on this podcast of being. Uh, what's the word like when you like sort of change your mind all the time? What, what am I thinking of? Fickle, fickle Tim, fickle Tim be Tim. Yeah, no, like, but just that I like, I'm always like really excited when I find something I think is my favorite. Yeah. Um, which there are certain things that have stuck. The Palomino HB is stuck. I've been using that for like seven years now or whatever. And I think I've found my favorite like non field note style pocket notebook. Hmm. And um, because so I was. This this goes back like a, several months, but I bought some new hardback pocket notebooks, and I bought because I, I think I'd found them like on clearance at Barnes Noble and uh, TJ Maxx and stuff like that. That I had like bought up a bunch of them, hmm. so I ended up with like Moleskin, Rhodia, Leuchterm, some other ones. I don't know, and uh, and so I'd been using. I used a you know Field Notes, which the Field Notes is like sort of this like classic feel, and it's it's all right with pencils field or like a fountain pen just devastates it most of the time, <laughs> you know? And so I like stopped using, or like I finished that one off and was like kind of relieved and I moved on to the roadie and the roadie was almost too nice where it was like squeaky and like too, the, the paper was too, um, it's like coated plasticky. Yeah. It's like coated and dense and plasticky. Exactly. And so, um, but I started using, like a week and a half ago, I busted out the first of three that I had bought on clearance at Barnes Noble, these Leuchterm pocket-sized um, hardback notebooks. And there and I could be wrong on this, and I'm not I'm not gonna look it up because I'm not interested in facts right now. But I feel <laughs> no I, I feel <laughs> I feel like it's a little longer. Yeah, they than, are okay. Then I'm Moleskin. Don't who needs facts when I've got my brain. Um <laughs> But it's a little longer, which was very pleasing. The paper is perfect. And I actually ended up going with Dork Grid, which is not like my my favorite historically, you know, but it is working out fantastically. And I am in love with this notebook and I'm just like plowing through it. So I just I was mentioning that about these because, you know, usually when you're talking about the pocket notebooks, you're talking about the paper ones or you're talking about a moleskin and then the other ones kind of get lost in the shuffle. Um. And I really love the Leuchterm hardback pocket notebook and, and dot grid. So I've got one more dot grid after this, and I've got another lined one, which I've realized, and Johnny is the our, our resident bookbinder. What's the, what is the width of the lined Leuchterm? Oh man. Like the, like the lines. I mean, it's, it's shorter than average, right? I don't know if I've had their lined. They're I'm pretty sure their dot yeah. grid's quarter inch. Cause I made a copy of their dot grid. Cause I like sure. it. Sure. But I, it's I, the same. Their dot grid is really nice, and I don't usually gravitate towards dork grid, but like I, this one, I really like. And I have a lined, like normal size, like journal notebook that I. Well, it's not the one that I bought when we were in. Uh, we were in DC together. It's the next one I bought, and it's lined, and it's just a. It's one of those things where I feel like a crazy person because it's the the lined the lines are just short enough that it makes me it like annoys me and i just think about it just too much where i'm like 
God damn it. <laughs> you know, like every page, uh, but I'm still, I'm working through it, but, but they're, they're, they're dot grids. Great. And so I'm just in love with this notebook. So I've been using it with the, uh, I think the last episode I talked about the moon man retractable mm-hmm. fountain, fountain pen that I got, which I'm still just like ravenously in love with. Um, it's like all I've used fountain pen wise, aside from pencils and gel pens and other things. I just love it. And it's, they, they are a perfect, perfect match. The, this pocket notebook and that. Um, you need to get one. To answer your question, uh, their lined notebooks differ according to the size, but they're usually six millimeter, except for the big one, they're 8.5, and their dot grids are five millimeter. So pretty close. Okay. And they also spell composition wrong on their website. Oh wow! Germans. They, they're, they're known. They're they're known for their accuracy and their, <laughs> their precision. Their precision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um. So yeah. So that, that that was the main main thing in my like stationary life recently, aside from still just doting over the friggin' Moonman pocket <laughs> or uh, retractable pen, which I'm still madly in love with. Um. I just love that thing so much so um and aside from that and this is something that's been kind of like in the works for a while and i'm just mentioning it not because this is why you're here on the podcast but i feel like i just need to share this because it's probably going to come out in conversations in the future is that i got a new job Woo-hoo, what congratulations yeah, what? hey guys guess what uh <laughs> yeah i got a new job and i start uh next which if you're you're listening to this it's probably going to be like a couple days after i start on uh, monday september 19th so with with a new job and it was a super long process and in a very heartbreaking process in a lot of ways um i so i've i've accepted a new job that i started interviewing for at the end of june and my first like so i had like a sort of pre-interview my first official interview was like july 5th and i just found out that i got the job on august 15th something like that and then now uh i only have two more days at the time of recording i have just two more teaching days um i this is a monday and i took off today because my my grandmother passed away and we were in ohio for this uh this funeral and i'm going back and i've got two days with my students and then i've got a long weekend i start a new job and i'm very excited about it but it's probably it worth sad. mentioning is it's not in teaching, right? Like you're not teaching. Career. Yeah, it's not in teaching. Yeah, no, I got a job working for a very large international aid organization that is based out of Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about that? <laughs> coincidence among, uh, that's not a coincidence. It's fate. That's what that yep. is. Now we got you um, here and then we'll do, get Andy here. And do they have all- a San Francisco office? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> How many Catholics are there out there in San Francisco? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah. So I start Monday. I am going to be working as a training advisor for this organization, working from home. I'm incredibly excited about it, and also incredibly heartbroken um, at the moment about just some of the students saying, you know, saying goodbye to them, and and uh, still no regrets that it's a good thing that I'm making. Uh, movements in the right direction but uh yeah but yeah geez it's it was way harder than i imagined it there's there are certain students a lot of certain students that you know you see the look on their face when you tell them the news and they're just like yeah uh, and i yeah you know that's a, it's a hard thing about teaching yeah. <laughs> you don't realize how many students like because you don't usually hear from students about how like the job you're doing or how, what they feel about like your class or something until they're 25 and you see them at a bar <laughs> and then they're like, your class is the best. And I was like, you, I thought you hated my class, you know, whatever. <laughs> but when you leave, but when you leave a job, like when you leave teaching, then you see these students be like, Oh my gosh, you know, you were my, yeah, this, I loved this class or whatever. And then so it was hard yeah. and got emotional a lot <laughs> in the last week. Um, at school, but I'm still feeling really good about it. So, and I'm feeling very good about it being based in Baltimore because I can see my friend Johnny more, uh, including next week. <laughs> next week, we'll make, we'll make it happen at least once while we're there. We'll see. But um, yeah, I mean, we work on a tra- as a training advisor. They work around the world 
like 110 countries. Uh, the organization is called CRS and Catholic Relief Services. And uh, if new legislation is passed in our country, we do a lot of legislative activism. So I'll be putting together trainings hmm. about changes in legislation for the groups that are working around the country, as well as like onboarding curriculum. And I'm, yeah. I'm very excited. That's really cool. But um, you're going to be a lobbyist. Well, I will be a the reporter for the I lobbyists, <laughs> thankfully, because I would be a terrible lobbyist. <laughs> hey, could you, you know, if you want, you At know what, point, you, you I don't need to learn to, you. Uh, but just to, no, it's fine. <laughs> just to it's vote for fine. this. Yeah. But I'm very excited. Yeah. It's a cool opportunity. Yeah. But, um, but those are the, yeah, those are the big things with, with me, big, big news. So new favorite pocket notebook and a new career path. <laughs> <laughs> Only um, in our world but, are they uh, both as important. <laughs> yes, all right. absolutely. So that's me. So how about you, Johnny? Um, my, I don't have fresh points that are anywhere near as momentous. But um, if you're following along at home, the bookstore issue of my pencil zine got so many submissions, we're going to do two or three months. Oh, cool. So if you missed the deadline um, and a bunch of people were busy during the you know one week that I sort of asked people to do it in. Um, send them in that would be great um yeah so um the only other relevant announcement is that i am officially a business owner of pencil revolution press llc so you have a new job too this is your new job announcement (laughs) yeah yeah i'm probably gonna get paid less are you the president or the ceo i am sole proprietor Uh aha Emperor, emperor, <laughs> emperor of pencil revolution. Well, remember, Maryland is a Catholic state. We don't have emperors. Uh, <laughs> You're going to find out. You're a common. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I sort of took off a lot this summer and didn't do much. So I spent two days straight listing books. So there are like a whole crap ton of them on Etsy. If you want some very tiny books or not so tiny books. And, um, the only other thing I have to mention is that really cool sharpener from Musgrave. What's mm. bringing this back to, you know, pencils. <laughs> so um, after the sharpener issue, Mr. Hewland sent me one of the um, Musgrave collab with NJK. They're a Japanese pencil sharpener company. Hmm. Did you guys try one of these yet? I don't think so. And I've seen them. Mm, no. They're cool. So they're machined aluminum and they're really neat. And there's like a little gasket on the lid, but um, they mentioned being double bladed. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but there are two blades that sharpen your pencil point at once. Hmm. So, well, you know, how sometimes when you put a pencil into a, um, a blade sharpener, if it doesn't center right the first time, the lead will never be right. Mm-hmm. It's always mm-hmm. perfect. Hmm. And there's you no, know, on, their we- on their website, you can see a, there's a really nice like picture of like the innards of it where it's like. It's like two, you know, like uh, like like those uh, brass wedges that you used to talk about all the time. It's like two of those. It's it's essentially two of those side by like, or let's say belly to belly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so you're you're sharpening on at twelve o'clock and at six o'clock. Yeah, there and there's so little resistance. Sort of like you don't push very hard, so you can feel when the pencil's done sharpening. So you sort of got like a magic auto stop feature, and um. Apparently, you don't replace the blades. The whole little plastic thing that holds two blades, you replace that. Hmm. So hmm. it's really cool. It's one of the coolest sharpeners I have. I've been using the heck out of it, even though I'm not always a fan of short point. It's a pretty short point. But uh, yeah, and it doesn't leak like at all in your pocket, which does it, is great. Does it kind of look like maybe oh, awesome. it doesn't really look on brand for Musgrave? Like it's this kind of like sleek Japanese sharpener with this like, pretty legacy feeling American brand. Yeah. I mean, it has their, their logo prominently like laser engraved on it. So it ties it in a little bit, but I, I totally see what you're saying. Like if they could do this with a brass finish, that would be pretty Just awesome. Put some, some knurled edges and some gaskets <laughs> or something. Yeah. Actually if they, make it weigh like three yeah. <laughs> more pounds than it does. already. Yeah. This is already pretty beefy. If they were to uh, make this out of brass, it would, you know, get very patinaed and also weigh like a brick you could defend your home with it. <laughs> I got this sharpener. <laughs> I mean it I mean it feels very like the to me the look of it looks pretty on brand with 
the like the shirts and stuff that they've mm-hmm. been they've been releasing. It 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 seems to fit the the visual of the new direction. It certainly doesn't with like where they've been yeah. before, but we it, we've talked about that plenty that they were clearly moving in a new, in a new direction. Yeah, that makes so. sense. Yeah, I and mean, they're not cheap. I think it's what thirty something bucks. Thirty three bucks. Yeah, but it's it's really sweet. I'm glad that they did this instead of you know, just slapping their logo onto an existing sharpener. This was sort of like co-design from what I understand, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Oh, but to what Andy was talking about, the blade changing instructions are accessed via a QR code on the box. So instead of printing them, you have to use technology. I was going to say, does cool. Henry Hewlin <laughs> just go and bring up the QR code and... I don't know. The last couple of letters I got from him were addressed with blue pencil on the oh. envelope. Which oh, wow. I appreciate hey, so much. Cool. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> making a photocopy awesome. of that. Plus, it matches It matches the stationery. It's like musgrave blue. Yeah. Sweet. Hmm. Yeah, but definitely, if you're looking for a good uh, handheld sharpener, especially one that will not leak in your bag, like, you know, almost anything that doesn't close will get dust all over your stuff. This is very clean. Yep. How about you, Andy? Hmm. How about me? Um, well, I went <laughs> <laughs> last week was very, very non-pencilly. I took a trip. We drove down to Southern California to Palm Springs um, in the middle of this big heat wave that has been going through most of the state. And so I was telling the guys before we started tonight that it was uh, around 115 most of the days. <laughs> 115 degrees like Fahrenheit. It's like what, 48 Celsius, something like that. Um, it was mm. so hot. Um, I, my biggest regret was I went, we, we went to Joshua tree. Guess what? I did not bring with me. You too. My, yeah. A, vi- a vinyl, a vinyl record of you too. Well, <laughs> don't bring a vinyl record because it's just going to melt. Um, <laughs> no, I, my Joshua tree field notes from the national parks edition. Oh, geez. I didn't even think of that. I know. We, what, we even went to the visitor what center. A, I went to look for like, what a new, yeah, <laughs> I went to look for, um, press pennies. Um, like a like a Joshua Tree press penny, and I. Uh, my kids collect those. I know, I oh, I do man. too. I I got a few other good ones, yeah. but did not get one from there. Okay, yeah, we went to we were in Palm Springs, um, for a few days, just hanging out with some friends, and we we had a pool. We swam at night. It was really nice. Um, and afterwards, we spent a couple of days. We drove up um to Santa Barbara, uh, which was maybe like a three hour drive. Uh, from there. Um, it's like right on the coast, kind of just north of LA and hung out in Santa Barbara for a couple of days. We went to Ojai Valley, um, which is maybe like a, like 40 miles inland from there, kind of through the mountains and check that out. That was really fun. So I just saw a p- part of California that I don't usually, that I've never seen before. That was really fun, but it was very, uh, just not, yeah, not very pencil I didn't <laughs> find any good stationary shops. Um, and I completely forgot to bring my my, my Joshua Tree field notes, and you too. Um, so uh, I I have a, a few more topics that are m- much more pencily. One of them is um, the weekend before um, I went to the San Francisco Pen Show, which was really fun. Um, only spent a couple hours there, but I got to see a sub Brad Dowdy. Um, he was in for his. I think it was his first first like out of city travel for um you know since covid so he, he came to san francisco i saw joe crace um saw ian shown from shown design those those really cool um uh fountain pens that he makes mm. um i'm sure you you both remember him from from oh, radio yeah. pads which was really fun um yeah didn't didn't see anna um anna reinert she did not come uh my friends at the van ness um uh fountain pens like they 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 were not there but yeah, saw saw a few people. Saw my friend Bruce. Yeah, what'd you get? That's what I was going to say. Did you get anything at the well, show? Well, I so it was much busier than they were expecting, and most of the things that I was after, um, they had run out of. So I was looking for a, you know, I really like that um, Iroshizuku um, Fuyugaki ink, the one that is persimmon colored, and I was looking for a full bottle of that. Mm. They didn't have any left. Um, there's what else? There's something else I was looking for. That I did not find um i did pick up a couple uh i i kind of got drawn into this 
like the sto- the new story of Tomoe River Paper, which I was going to kind of mention to you guys here. Are you familiar with what's been going on with Tomoe River Tomoe River Paper? No, I, and I knew they kind of like dropped off the map because I've got a Seven Seas writer yeah. and I love it, but I but it you know it's seven thousand pages long, and so I haven't finished it yet, and so I haven't needed yeah. to look for more. But I heard that I wouldn't be able to find. Yeah, that. so so what? So what's going um. On? It's 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 really interesting. I I just kind of got the whole story here. Um, so and I'm sure many of our listeners already know all of this this um, story. But for those of you who don't, um, so just to catch everybody up, Tomoe River paper is this uh, this washi paper that's really 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 good for fountain pen. It's like it's it's vellum. It's very very thin, but it just sucks up the fountain pen and ink like a champ, and doesn't feather. Dries pretty quickly. People with fountain pens love it. It's not not great for not great for pencil. And it's made at this, like, basically this one factory in Japan. Um, and it's made on this one machine. Um, it's it's called, I can't remember if it's machine seven or machine nine, but it's like they, the, the number of the machine that this is made on. And that machine broke uh, a couple years ago. And uh, they've just been kind of living off their stock since then, uh, their, their back stock. And they, uh, um, they've been running out. So they started trying to make Tomoe River paper on a different machine. And it sucked. Like nobody liked it. It just wasn't very good. And so then they they sold the formula and licensed it to um, Sanzen, uh, a different paper company in Japan. And they made it, and people love it. It's just really good. And so there's there's like old Tomoe River paper. There's the new Tomoe River paper that's not very good. And then there's like the new new Tomoe River paper uh, called the Sanzen Tomoe River paper. Uh, that people really like. And I am pleased to tell both of you uh, that Sanzen paper uh, is way better for pencil. No, it has uh, has a little bit more tooth and texture. Uh, I was talking a little bit with uh, Joe Crace about this, and actually he wrote about it on his blog back in May. Uh, and he actually said that it's better, it's better for pencil. And what he says is, you know, given the additional tooth and texture, those of us who use pencils as much as fountain pens may well prefer the Sanzen version to the original, which could be a bit too glassy smooth for pencils. Because of the lack of texture, many found that the original Tomoe River paper was smeared with darker pencil, probably because ultra smooth paper doesn't hold graphite as well as other toothier versions. So, How do you spell Sanzen? It's, it's S-A-N-Z-E-N, Sanzen. Oh, so close. So okay. it's, uh, yeah, like it, it's hard to tell because a lot of places where you get Tomoe River paper like don't... Um, they don't really like label which one is in there, but I think that mm-hmm. if you get another, um, oh, like a um, crap, which company? Who, who's who's who makes the planners with tomorrow paper? Um, man, my brain is not working today. So yeah, um, and I, actually, I picked up a couple, I, a couple pads of loose sheets of both the old stock and the new stock. I need to send it to you guys so you can compare and contrast. Oh, I feel like that's yeah, ink great. never dried on that stuff. Like, it, um, I always liked it until I picked it up later. Yeah, it's <laughs> supposed like, to. I guess uh, it doesn't feather as much, so it like it doesn't soak down in the paper quite as much. So, yeah, that's that's interesting you say that because I've got I have a seven, seven seas writer that I've had for uh, six years or something. I've had it for a long time, and it came with a blotter sheet, but I've never mm-hmm. noticed any issues with drying because it's that that paper really was of all my like stationary experience that the original Tomoe paper just felt like magic. Yeah. I was like, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you do this? Like this does, this doesn't make sense. Cause you'd write on it. And I, you know, I usually write with broad or like medium or big stub nib fountain pens. If I'm writing in fountain pen, it would just, it would never bleed through. I could write on both sides. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, I love looking at people who have like filled up their, seven seas writer and there's like a visible bulge in it because the yeah the, the the weight of the of the ink or the graphite like just because that paper is so thin it's just so just like it's like measuring in like an electron or something like that like it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool so that is uh that's it for me um should we should we get into our uh into our main topic yeah. yeah, let's do it. So we are here today to talk about uh, books about creativity. Um, and for probably the three of us, um, like typically those books are, are about writing. Um, but I think that there's other really um, other really good ones out there. I'm going to probably talk a little bit about um, 
you know, writing like professional writing, things like that. Um, but we, we talked last week, we did name some names. We did name some books last week, but we mostly just talked about the kind of books that we look for or gravitate to and kind of like how and why. Um, and this time we're going to come at you with, um, I think, uh, we each picked out three of them that, um, just are, are ones that we recommend. So we're going to kind of go through that and, and just talk a little bit about those books. And Tim, do you want to, do you want to start us off about that? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, so the first one I wanted to bring up was one that I've, I've talked about on the podcast, but it's been a very long time, but, uh, the book is Several Short Sentences About Writing by Verlin Klinkenborg. Klinkenborg is such and, a good last name. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's it's a very weird book. It's a, it's a book that's almost written in, I, I don't know if I want to say it's in like prose poems or it's in just kind of like micro chapters. I don't know how to describe it, but it's this book that's, it is like little aphorisms about writing that kind of jump, seemingly jump all over the place. And some of them are very short and very concise, and some of them are longer, but they're always, um, I don't know what the, as far as like connotation, I don't know what the positive connotation of vague is. <laughs> High level. Um, it is, yeah. I mean, I don't, it's like, they are very the the language is so inclusive that you can like you can sort of like apply it to anything and um and i i love it because because usually what i'm looking for an in inspiration when i'm writing or or even like working on projects like for work is that i'm looking for something that makes me think differently you know so it's like i don't always want someone to tell me hey when you're writing a character like this do this or if you're stuck try this the the way that this book works is it's very poetic um and it's very ooh, it's 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 hard to explain but it's like this book puts you in a place where you're hearing about writing in a from a different perspective than you've heard about it before like you're in different language or different modes of 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 writing so i've got some quotes that i pulled out here uh, that I wanted to, to to read to kind of explain what it felt like to read this book. Hmm. So here's one. In school, you learn to write as if the reader were in constant danger of getting lost, a problem you were taught to solve not by writing clearly, but by shackling your sentences and paragraphs together. Think about transitions. Remember how it goes? Late in the paragraph, you prepare for the transition to the next paragraph, the great leap over the void, across the yawning indentation. You are taught the art of the flying trapeze, but not how to write. <laughs> that, that, was a, that was a favorite and one that I, I, I feebly attempted to share with my students. Hmm. Um, but there's too much context to <laughs> kind of build around that. But like, cause that's what, I mean, all of the state standards and all of like what teaching people how to write these days is based on like, do this, then this, then this, here's the order of things that you do. Um, but what this book likes to do is to basically address the mystery yeah. of writing. You just like basically like boiling it down to like, you just need to want to write something good. You need to want to write something interesting. You need to want to write something that sounds like you, as opposed to saying like five sentences in a paragraph, the first sentence is an introduction, the last sentence is a conclusion, the ones in between illuminate something. It's like, there's a huge difference there. Yeah. Um, which that, that kind of thinking just really sort of cracks my mind wide open. Um, here, um, here's, here's another one. Here's another quote. Uh, we forget something fundamental as we read. Every sentence could have been otherwise, but isn't. We can't all, oh, sorry, we can't see all the decisions that led to the final shape of the sentence, but we can see the residue of those decisions, which is like a great sentence about how what you, whatever you're reading 
especially if it's in a printed form in a book, you are reading something that has been mold over, has been like, they've taken time to decide on this. I mean, I guess assuming it's something (laughs) good, but like they've taken time and people have chosen like, is this sentence what we want it to say? And that that's just not a fundamental thought that people typically will have. Like, I mean, my students, I was always applying this to my students that my, my students would be like, well, it's, you asked for 200 words and I gave you 200 words. So here you go. It's like, yeah, but is it the right 200 words? And they're like, I don't understand. <laughs> it's 200 words. <laughs> it's 200 words. What do you me, want Mr. from Watson. me? Um, <laughs> um, so those are the sorts of things that I just absorbed from this book. And I, this is a book that I actually have on audio and I'll kind of like, it's, I think it's the only audio book that I have that when I, because I've read the whole thing, but I'll, I'll pull it up now. I basically always have it downloaded on, on audible and I will just play it and then take the little, I don't know what the word for it is, but like I'll, I'll drag forward like, three hours and just drop it somewhere random and just listen wherever it falls because it doesn't really matter because you'll you'll hear some different sort of um aphoristic beautiful yeah. thought um i i've been like avoid this whole time i've been avoiding it avoiding explaining it this way but that it really feels like a bible or something <laughs> because it's so mysterious you know like that it's just like I don't exactly know what you're going for. I don't know why it's in this order. I don't know why you're talking about things from point A to point B like this. Um, and maybe that's the same way they talked in the Bible. It's just kind of like thrown together randomly. But it's so it's like you can jump around anywhere. You can jump around anywhere in this book and get some insight into the the act of the act of writing. And I, and I really appreciate it's, it. It sounds like Nietzsche wrote a writing um, book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, and this, I'll, I'll end with this one for this book. Uh, but long sentences often tend to collapse or break down or become opaque or trip over their awkwardness. Um, he, as in the title, several short sentences about writing. It's all about like just keeping things simple and that's lost sometimes. So I, I, I love this book. It's a great one to just kind of pick up and flip through once you've read through it all the way. Um, but I love it. So, um, are, are we going through all of our three? Uh, I don't know. Do we want to trade on and off row? and come back to it? Johnny, do you want to, do you want to do sure. it? Um, yeah, let's just let's try to mix mine up and go with, uh, Hemingway, a movable feast, which is, um, nonfiction disguises fiction. I'm sorry. Fiction disguises nonfiction. Um, we've talked about that a lot before. It's a, it was sort of a book he was working on at the end of his life that his wife put together into a book that was not the order he wanted it in. Then they republished it in the order that he wanted it in, and it wasn't as good because people weren't used to it. But um, this is a book where he talks about being a young writer in Paris and being broke, and a lot of that wasn't quite true. But um, it's the it's where Henry talks about being you know, cold, being hungry and just, you know, sitting in a cafe with a pencil and a notebook and writing one true sentence at a time. And then those true sentences became like, you know, some of the greatest books of the 20th century. So I find that book sort of like conceptually inspiring. Like, you know, you can't try to do his work method because he didn't really do that. And he would leave his home, his kid home with the cat, (laughs) according to the book. But, um, the idea that even Hemingway started by just writing a bunch of crap in a notebook um, mm-hmm. at a cafe while he was like people watching. I'm like, oh, okay. So it's, you know, I'm not saying that everyone is Hemingway or certainly not that I'm Hemingway, but, you know, you don't need any magic. It's all right there. And then just working. As far as, as far as uh, writing books, that is one of the, the few, maybe like the three in this whole genre that I remember exactly where I was when I read it. Um, because I, I was in college and I had read Hemingway and was like most college, like white college males who are interested in writing. <laughs> I was like Hemingway, gosh, like this is amazing. <laughs> like it's something, something interesting. It's something different or whatever. And I went on a, 
uh, it's called the Humanities Tour to Europe. And I brought like three books with me when we went and I spent, we spent two and a half weeks in Europe and I brought a movable feast, brave new world. Um, and, uh, green Hills of Africa were like the three books that I brought with me. I ended up buying other things while I was there and reading them. But, but I remember reading a movable feast and literally being in Paris and being like, and I, and I, I, it's, I don't know if it's a good thing that I went from reading a movable piece, a movable feast in, in Paris and then graduating and then seeing a midnight in Paris by Woody <laughs> Allen and just like, it so totally, totally corrupted my brain where my brain was just like, this is where you need to be. This is what you want to do. Like, you know, build yourself a time <laughs> machine. But, uh, but I was profoundly affected by that book and, and I almost remember nothing from it besides just like getting the glimpse into the sort of behind the scenes picture of seeing someone become a writer um, in a, in a time that was of course, incredibly foreign to the time that, <laughs> <laughs> that I live in. Uh, he didn't have Snapchat. Yeah. Cause now he'd be, you know, clicking away on one of those weird little writing devices that ripped off the alpha smart. Yeah. Uh. Oh my God. <laughs> or he'd be, or like he'd be just like following a bunch of this accounts is, on. Yeah. What a coincidence! Yeah. It's like Hemingway. Yeah. yeah, he'd be following a bunch of accounts on Instagram that are like morally questionable. He'd be like, "All right, <laughs> Hemingway, take it easy." <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Andy? Got one? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> or three? <laughs> um, yeah, I have a few. Um, I, I kind of went a different direction. I, I, you know, most of the writing that I do is, as um, you know, for lack of a better word, like generally business writing, right? Like it's about, um, you know, writing stuff that goes into like microcopy and, and apps or websites or stuff that like exists um, kind of outside of the capital L literature um, world. Um, and there's some, there's some good, there's some good books out there that, that talk about it. it's it's what i would call usable writing like i think that you know other writing can be useful um but i think that this is the kind of writing that is usable right like stuff that you like you know style specifically really matters or being really really clear um matters and knowing your audience and writing for them is is really important um and there's a book that was really really um mm, inspirational to me uh when i was starting to figure out what this was. And uh, in fact, it was really foundational to when I was writing a book about the same, uh, something that was really important to that. So there's a book called Nicely Said. Uh, it's by Nicole Fenton and Kate Kiefer Lee. Um, they're two um, content strategists in the in the industry. Um, Kate Kiefer Lee, actually right now, I think she's like the, I think she's like the VP of communication or, or writing or something at MailChimp. And then Nicole Fenton, um, used to head up the content strategy practice at 18F, which is the federal government's kind of in-house digital agency. So uh, they wrote this book. Um, man, when did this come out? 2014. Um, just a really good book. Um, they were really foundational for the way that um, people in this industry think about um, voice and tone. Um, you know, voice being sort of like the personality of the, the style of how you write, like what you cover and tone being something that you can kind of change uh, based on context, um, depending on what you want your reader or user or whatever to do. So uh, really, really appreciate this book. Um, they, it's, it's, it is very practical. Um, they, they also are, <laughs> you know, advocate heavily for shorter sentences, like that carries kind of more power or more impact or, or more meaning. Um, but they do a really good job of just like, just covering principles and covering, you know, this isn't like a handbook. There's not just like a list, a list of rules of things to do. Uh, but they talk a lot about like philosophies and principles and it's just very inspirational when we, uh, when we wrote writing is designing. So um, they, yeah, they, they cover just, just a lot of the stuff that just kind of made its way into, into the canon of, of UX writing and content design. So they talk a lot about, um, research, like before you sit down and write, you should be figuring out interviewing users or interviewing, interviewing your audience. Um, they have like little, um, 
interviews with people along the way. They talked to Tiffany Jones Brown, um, who is just a just somebody in the industry. I think she was working at maybe Pinterest at the time that they were writing this. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, let me look at the 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 table of contents here. Yeah, they 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 talk a lot about. Um, you know, ways to engage a community, ways to sort of like build a community and something that I've taken away a lot when, when we were trying to build kind of our raceable community. Um, just, just, it's a really, just really useful book. It's very, um, very approachable um, and really like covering being very practical without getting like very specific and prescriptive. So uh, if you at all are, you know, writing anything that is, you know, based in either marketing, copywriting or, um, you know, business communications or something in UX, or really if you just have a blog and you just want to like figure out how to just communicate um, a little bit more clearly and strategically, this is a really good, um, this is a really good book. So it's called Nicely Said by Nicole Fenton and Kate Keeverly. Tim, do you want to shoot with your second one? Yeah, uh, sure. This is one that I, I know I mentioned on the the previous episode, but one that's been really important to me is Ron Carlson writes a story, which is written by a guy named Joe Abernathy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's Ron Carlson. What? <laughs> no, Ron Carlson. So Ron Carlson is a sort of like, I don't know, like mid-level, not mid-level in ability, but just as far as like how well he's known, Ron Carlson's short stories are not super mainstream like George Saunders or something, but they're somewhere in the middle. And he's he writes very good stories. And so his goal with this book that he, uh, that he wrote and published with Grey Wolf was that he wanted to write a book about writing that was you know, incredibly practical. And so he, he wrote the story of how he wrote the governor's ball, which is kind of his most, like, I, I mean, apparently his most anthologized story. And so it's a short book. Um, it's just, you know, clocks in just over a hundred pages, 110 pages. And he walks through the process of, I had this idea. And I had this idea and then these two ideas smashed together and created this story, which is partially for my own life and partially from just, you know, a combination of memories and people I know and whatever. It's a really wonderful book. It's a really super practical book. And it's one that I've, I've read through several times. And, um, I'll just read this. This is a quote from towards the beginning of the book. Um, about where you get your ideas. Uh, write toward what you want to know. Sorry, write toward what you know. Building an inventory and carefully using the imagination as the powerful sensing instrument it can be. Generally, story ideas are garnered from three sources. A writer's own experiences, experiences the writer has heard about or read about, or experiences and notions that the writer makes up. These categories are loose, and the word experiences could easily be replaced with images or events, phrases or moments. I can think of stories of mine that came from all three areas and combine all of them. Just, it's a really great, whether it's short stories or, um, you know, creative nonfiction or songs that you're writing or whatever just it's a really great explanation of how like creating something comes from everywhere like you you pull inspiration from every direction and create something new that wasn't there before it's not always just reporting or it's not always just pure creation and i really like that so he he walks through the whole process about revision <laughs> and how he thinks about characters and how he approaches um, issues like this is my real life and these are things, these are people that I know, situations that I've been in, here's how I've converted them into a fictional setting. So it's, it's a very practical and very, very entertaining book and a quick read. So I, I highly recommend it. Hmm. 
Johnny, Johnny, what else? Uh, what's, um, what's your next I'm going to shake it up, put one in that's not about writing, called um, How to Make Books by Esther Smith. <clears throat> from, um, what is their place called? Purgatory Pie Press, which is one of the coolest company name. names I've ever seen, <laughs> ever heard of. So this book was recommended to me by uh, our friend Les Herger. Um, like, when I, f- I got interested in making pocket notebooks around the beginning of the pandemic, and most of the stuff in that book was way beyond my capabilities, but then I sort of kept it around and tried some stuff and the, um, I don't know, I just sort of clicked and it's different from other books because it's not full of, um, shiny pictures and, you know, long supply lists. They're like, Hey, here's how you make a long stitch notebook out of a cake mix box because cake mix boxes are the right size and they're cool. So, um, yeah, it's every once in a while I pick it up if I'm feeling a little stale with uh, bookbinding stuff because there's some really, really cool books in there. And the book itself is really well designed. The board is several times thicker than it should be or would normally be. And the spine sort of looks like a long stitch book, even though it's not. Apparently the publisher wouldn't do it and the author was upset. But um, yeah, it's... It's still in print. You can probably find some used copies because it's been around for a while. And it's durable. So even beat up, it's uh, still going to be readable. It's well bound. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you're interested in checking out some bookbinding stuff, this is not the first book that people would recommend because it's not so instructional. But if you want, I mean, learning about bookbinding, as I discovered, the hard way is about just sticking with it. So without inspiration, then it can happen. So... Yeah, definitely pick this up if you want to make stuff. How about you, Andy? <laughs> um, my second book um, is uh, in that same sort of vein as I was talking about earlier. It's it's a lot about um, you know writing, but um, with a design methodology. Uh, it's a book. It's called Content Design by by Sarah Winters, who I am I'm proud to call my friend. Uh, we've met a few times at uh, a conference in. Uh, Minneapolis that we usually go to and uh we've she's she's great she's British and uh yeah just really just really fantastic she has that like very dry British sense of humor that I just just really love um she uh so she wrote this book called content design um it kind of steered a lot about this industry like a lot of the teams a lot of the work that I do are they're called content design teams like identify as a content designer and she was really one of the ones who kind of um coined that term and just really really pushed that language um and she this this book is it's about writing it's about designing it's about um making things making digital things really um and it's just sort of like all of those things and it it's done in such an interesting way in that she has like really just like big text and some pages are just sort of like these really big, just inspirational things. Um, it's pretty short. Um, it's, it's just really snappy and she just does a, just a really good job of, um, kind of explaining what she means here. And I'm just going to read a a short passage from the front, which is, I think the kind of the thesis statement of the book. So, um, she says that content design means not limiting yourself to just words. Content on the web is often words, but not always. The point of content design is that you start with research to help you identify what your users actually need, which isn't the same as what they say they want. Then instead of saying, how shall I write this? You say, what content will best meet this need? The answer might be words, but it also might be other things. Pictures, diagrams, charts, links, calendars, a series of questions and answers, videos, addresses, maps, calculators, spreadsheets, printable documents, and many more besides. When your job is to decide which one of these or which combination of several of them meets the user's name user's needs that's content design now something that i think is really empowering for people who come into a uh like a tech job often as as a writer right like you you know you <laughs> you took english lit classes you didn't take computer science classes right like you feel a lot of uh you didn't go to art school usually right like you feel a lot of imposter syndrome and you feel like you know what i'm just here to fill some holes full of bo- uh, full of words right like the designer left these empty spaces for me to fill in with words and by gosh that's what i'm going to do uh no uh this is basically saying like hey do you you understand 
what your user needs. Um, sometimes it might be things different than words. Um, and of course, Sarah talks a lot about that. So um, she gets into um, talking about various like readability things, like how a user's eye usually kind of travels across the, the page. Um, she talks a lot about, she does talk about voice and tone in a similar way to what um, Nicely Said talked about. Uh, she talks a lot about like dealing with other people within your organization and how to convince them to let you do more than just words, right? Like that's that's important too. Just a really good um, inspirational book, right? She she has a big thing kind of toward the back that's just a bunch of affirmations, right? Like this book was written to help you get started. Your first steps may still feel daunting and implementing content design in your organization may still be difficult. I've been there. I know what it's like. Stick with it. Be persistent. Be flexible. Be bold. Be confident over time. Content design will provide itself as a valuable tool for you, your team, and for the whole organization. So she's, she, uh, if ever any of our listeners have ever used the gov.uk site, um, she and her team uh, spent a lot of time making that a lot more readable. Um, they, in fact, like the NHS website, they had a lot of tips for parents and for people. Um, and traditionally, they use the words like, you know, feces and urine, and they made it a lot more readable and understandable and clear to new parents. Like they, they changed a lot of that to pee and poo and uh, just, just to <laughs> make it more understandable. And she, she said she's had a lot of like uh, government employees like yell at her in elevators because uh, they thought that was unprofessional or uh, not, <laughs> not good at not holding decorum, not, not being respectful. So yeah, she's, she's really great. This is a really great book. Um, Tim, your third and final. Yeah, I was I was struggling to decide what my last one would be. I was between two. The first option, which I'm not going to talk about because I feel like I've talked about it plenty, is Bird by Bird by Anne yeah. Lamott. Um, the highlight of which is the essay within the book that is called Shitty First Drafts about like every writer needs to create or needs to produce a shitty first draft in order to have a great <laughs> fifth draft, you know, or like a, a better second draft or whatever. So I, I still recommend that one. But the one that I said to talk about was the writing life by Annie Dillard. And Annie Dillard is a really special writer, a really um, anachronistic writer. She just feels like she's from another hmm. century. Um, she is, uh, sadly, from what I've heard, she's apparently suffering from, uh, I don't know if it's Alzheimer's or just uh, dementia or something right now, which is really hard because her writing is so incredibly vivid and beautiful. Uh, but she has a, a book about writing that she wrote called The Writing Life. It is uh, also short. I mean, it's it's almost exactly the same length as Ron Carlson writes a story. It's like 110 pages or something like that. And it, it, it fills the same kind of need the several short sentences about writing does, that it's it's very expansive and it's very inclusive and it's vague in a good way where it just kind of makes your mind go in directions that you weren't planning to go. And I'm going to read, I'm going to read two of my favorite quotes uh, from this book. How we spend our days is of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we were doing. A schedule defends from chaos and whim. If a net for it's a, sorry, it is a net for catching days. It is a scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labor with both hands at sections of time. A schedule is a mock-up of reason and order, willed, faked, and so brought into being. It is a peace and a haven set into the wreck of time. It is a lifeboat on which you find yourself, decades later, still living. That's the first one, which is like her writing is so loose and beautiful, but also you realize that as a writer, she's very disciplined which I think is a, is a lesson that I'm constantly learning over and over again, that if something seems loose, it probably didn't start that way, right? The writer probably had a lot of discipline and came to it with, uh, with a sense of like, I need to revisit this every day, revise, 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 iteration is everything, you know, that kind of idea. Um, and the other quote I wanted to read is this one. 
one of the things I know about writing is this spend it all, shoot it, play it, lose it all right away. Every time do not hoard what seems good for a later place in the book or for another book, give it, give it all, give it now. The impulse to save something good for a better place later is the signal to spend it now. Something more will arise for later, something better. These things fill from behind, from beneath, like well water. Similarly, the impulse to keep you to to keep to yourself what you have learned is not only shameful, it is destructive. Anything you do not give freely and abundantly becomes lost to you. You open your safe and find it ashes. <laughs> So my favorite quotes about writing yeah. of all time. Um, if you, if you, if you have an idea, if you have something that feels fresh and vibrant and it's just vibrating in your soul as you're working on something, whether it's a song or a story or an article or whatever, spend it, use it now. Don't try to stockpile it away for later because if you try to pull it out from the archives later, it's going to feel dead and lifeless. <laughs> um, I love that you open your safe and you find <laughs> ashes. Um, I just think that it's, it's such a, also such a wonderful metaphor for like life is short. Use it yeah. now. Right. Um, so that's that, one of my favorite writing quotes of all time from, from that's Andy really Dillard. But yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's my last one. So, uh, Johnny, what's your, um, what's your third choice? That one up. I know. <laughs> book and you did such a good job reading from it. But um, I mentioned last time that uh, it was 2012. Neil Gaiman gave a graduation speech, and um, it's you know it sort of went viral around YouTube. And it was called "Make Good Art." So you know some industrious folks put it into a into a book called "Fantastic Mistakes." Neil Gaiman's "Make Good Art" speech, and you know some of the pages have a sentence on them. It's total ripoff. But um, also, it you know, it misses his cadence and his voice. But, like, he talks in that speech a lot about um, the ability to create something being um, a lifesaver when life sucks. Because no matter what happens, you can always make your art. So he advocates for, you know, all of these horrible things that can happen to you. Like if your cat explodes or your husband runs off with a politician, make good art. <laughs> and then when things are going really well make good art just like keep making art all the time because um yeah it's uh, hemingway was famously said uh oh god who did he say it to like i write 99 percent of what i write is total shit but i'm smart enough to put the shit in the wastebasket <laughs> so if, uh, one of the things that i thought came in was getting at was just like write so much that you're going to write good stuff too you know, maybe you don't share the horrible stuff. It's, I think I talked about this last week. It's instructive and inspiring. It's, you know, a good middle ground. And, you know, in there, there's a lot of like, to use the word loosely philosophical underpinnings for creation and what it can do for your life and what your life can do for your art. Hmm. So it's almost perfect. It just wish it came in a nicer edition <laughs> for people that want to read it. Yeah, that's uh, that's all I got. How about Andy? You, Andy? Um, well, I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction with my uh, third and final one here, um, which is something that I uh, recalled from uh, reading it in college. Um, it's called Steer Steering the Craft, A 21st Century Guide to Sailing the Sea of Story by Ursula K. Le Guin, um, who is a, just one of my favorite one of my favorite authors, right? Like she is, she's written so many novels, um, short stories. Um, she's actually written like three or four books about writing or essays about, uh, about life. And, um, I, this is, this is one of, one of my favorite. It, it, it feels very much like a writing class in book form. And, uh, it's very, very practical. It's very much about like craft and style and um she does a just a really good um job of combining um just kind of like big high level philosophy with uh she even has exercises in here just like a little bit of a workbook and i am having 
<laughs> I have a PDF version up on my, here we go, um, my computer that I was trying to like draw some of this from. But uh, I remember this came out maybe in the late 90s. Um, first, first time I ever thought about sort of like the, oh, the idea of rhythm and cadence um, in writing, right? Like she, she talks about the sound of your writing. Um, she talks about like, you know, we, she goes, most children enjoy the sound of language for its own sake. They wall in repetition and luscious word sounds and the crunch and slither of automatopoeia. They fall in love with musical or impressive words and use them in all the wrong places. Some writers keep this primal interest in and love for the sound of language. Others outgrow their oral and aural sense of what they're reading or writing. That's a dead loss. An awareness of what your own writing sounds like is an essential skill for a writer. Fortunately, it's quite easy to cultivate. And it's she's she's really she talks about grammar uh, and she basically says like, oh, hey, like, don't 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 be a grammar Nazi. Right. Like, don't don't think that she she talks about how morality and grammar are often related um, and, you know, how how there is really no correct right usage of language or wrong usage. And it's kind of one of the first like grammar prescriptivism, excuse me, descriptivism. just topics that I've ever heard mm-hmm. was when Ursula K. Laguna was talking about it. So it's just a very good, very practical, um, but also just beautiful and interesting um, book. I just, I just really liked it. Um, beginning of each chapter, she has just like little, um, just pieces of um, prose. Um, she, for the one about how your words sound at the beginning of the chapter, it just says the top. She slipped swift as a silvery fish through the slapping gurgle of sea waves. And the chapter about uh, punctuation, <laughs> she she has the top. She goes, damn, the semicolons cried. The captain in full speed ahead. Just <laughs> just little, little pieces like that that are really fun. Um, <laughs> for sentence length and complex syntax, she has the wind died. The sail fell slack. The boat slowed, halted. We were becalmed. Just really, I don't know. Uh, it, it's a very approachable book from somebody mm-hmm. who's just just a just an amazing writer. Like I, I was thinking not too long ago uh, after she died about how Ursula K. Le Guin is probably one of my, you know, top five if not like top ten if not top five favorite favorite writers. Left Handed Darkness is so good. I I have uh, so as I've often referenced, I am so fascinated mm. by the novella. And she has a, I think she has one or two yeah. collections of novellas. It's like uh, collected novellas of Ursula K. Le Guin, and, I, and I've not read them yet. But I think I, I think I've bought if there, if there's just one or if there's two, like I've bought at least one of them on sale on for my Kindle, and I haven't gotten to them yet. Yeah. I have never read anything by her, but but I've I'm, which I feel very phony saying this, but like I'm all the stuff I've heard over time and i've and i think i have a, a copy of stirring mm. the craft that i haven't read the whole thing of but i'm very drawn to her that she seems like the kind of writer and the kind of personality yeah. that i'm drawn to so like I, I need there's to, a lot of things that are just very with her like stuff. the left hand of darkness which is a really fantastic book like just i mean it's when did she write it in the 70s and it just like was really challenging the idea of of sort of like gender and gender binaries and gender constants um, at a time when, um, you know, people were just starting to think about that stuff. And she, she uses, you know, aliens, like very alien uh, cultures as sort of like the context for that, but it's really good. Um, it's always, you have to kind of like bend your brain a little bit uh, when she does that. Like she has just one series of stories that are set in a, on a world where um, the people live in like these, like lack of a better term, like polycules, like, you know, each, each person has like two sets of spouses and like the way that they interact are all just like really different. It's, it's fascinating. It's really good. Uh, it's hard to bring your brain around it, <laughs> but um, I think it's, yeah, I think she's, she's really great. All right. So um, yeah, I hope these, these books um, are interesting to you. I hope that, you know, I would, I would love to, to hear if anybody here has read them and has any additional thoughts. If you pick them up because of us, please let us know. We would love to hear more. Um, we're going to come back next time. Um, I can't remember what we said we were going to do for the next one. Do you remember, Tim? 
Well, I, we, we left it open, but it's just, this was a topic that we could spend a lot of time on. We, we discussed the idea of also like suggesting things that just inspire us in general, whether it's like websites or books or the music or whatever that just make us want to create things. So I don't know. We'll see, we'll see where it takes us yeah. the next one. We'll, we'll talk about it between now and then, but I think this was, I, don't, I, I personally, I was, I was really happy about making this because these types of books, there's a, there's a huge, <laughs> there's a huge gap between the ones that are BS and yeah. the ones that are authentic. And I think we talked tonight about a lot of the ones that were very authentic about creating things that are meaningful for, for the people yeah. creating things that are, uh, are, are that they're, uh, to borrow, you know, from Elvis Costello, like yeah. their aim is true. That's there. a good point. Nice. So, yeah. Cool. So, um, let's uh, let's button it up. Um, Tim, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Instagram at Timothy Wassman on hey, Twitter Johnny, at you? Tim Wassum. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, you can find me at pencilrevolution.com, at pencilrevolution.etsy.com, and on social media at pencilution. Nice. And I'm Andy Wilfley. I'm on. Um, the web at andy.wtf and Twitter and Instagram as at a Uh This is the Erasable Podcast. Uh, this is episode 187. Uh, and if you want to find um, the audio for this and some show notes and more information, if you go to erasable.us slash 187, you can find all that stuff. Um, if you uh, want to uh, follow us on uh, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, we're at Erasable Podcast. And if you want to join our group, uh, the Erasable Podcast uh, po community on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash groups slash Erasable. Uh, we also have a Patreon. And this is a place where, um, you know, if you are able and interested in uh, supporting the show, um, just some of our, keep some of our operating costs going and making sure we can find just a small income from doing this, uh, you, can, you can do that through the Patreon community. Um, we, we often try to have some extra content for you um, and so some little goodies that we, that we just sort of follow. So go to patreon.com slash erasable. And, uh, as a Patreon supporter, uh, at $10 a month or more, uh, we read your name at the end of the episode to, uh, just sort of a way to say thank you. So, uh, we're going to read that now. Um, thank you to Melissa Miller, digital tech, Angie, Aaron Bollinger, Matthew Shavon, Andrew Austin, Tara Whittle, Ida Umfers, David Johnson, Philip Munson, Donnie Pierce, Bill Black, Ed Swift, Tom Keekley, Andre Torres, Paul Moorhead, John Capaluti, Jamelia, Stephen Fansali, Aaron Willard, KP, Millie Blackwell, Michael Dialosa, Jacqueline R. Myers, Tana Feliz, Ann Sipe, Joe Crace, Mike Hagan, Bill Clow, Jason Dill, Mary Collis, Alex Jonathan Brown, Kathleen Rogers, Bobby Lutzinger, Kelton Weens, Dr. Hans Noodleman, Jay Newton, Chris Jones, and John Wood. Thank you very much uh, to, to those Patreon uh, supporters. Thank you to our listeners, and we will see you in a few weeks. Um.